I'm Roxanne Cody, and welcome to a bookmark from Just the Right Book. We're doing a bookmark since it's the week before Election Day that will be a bookmark slash election special. Uh, So I thought it would be fun for us to invite Lisa Muscatine, the co-owner of Politics and Prose in Washington, D.C., to give us some terrific recommendations of books you might want to read before or after Election Day. But again, the most important thing to do is to vote. This is all a thrill to always have Lissa on to talk books. So, Lissa, now a week before the election, welcome to Just the Right Book. It is always so much fun <laughs> to be on this show with you. I love what you're doing with this podcast. You're our inspiration for so many booksellers across the country and uh, just the range of things you cover and talk about and get people engaged and thinking about and bringing more and more books to people's attention. Thank you for doing that. It, it's great for your community and it's it's great for all of us. It's and it's also fun. So, Lissa, what's on the uh, this this segment is um, historically called "Once on the Front Table," and I would like to hear what's on your front table. But what I'd love to talk with you about it's a week before the election. People are um, distracted, angry, conflicted, nervous. What are some of the books to pay attention to this week before the election as a way to inform how we need to think about this election? On this very subject that I think are possibly the most important books for this particular minute, one of my favorite books of the year, and this is one of my favorite people in the world, and when I just somebody I admire tremendously, it's a book called Good and Mad, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger by mm-hmm. Rebecca Traster. Rebecca Traster is a young feminist journalist. She's probably about 40. She, this is her third book. Um, she is absolutely incisive intellectually. I mean, she's intellectually so rigorous, but she also has a deep heart. You mm-hmm. know, she really is passionate. She cares about things. Um, so she's sort of able to, to combine dispassionate history and political analysis with her own passion as a young woman. And I find her one of the most independent-thinking women out there. She just she doesn't easily get pushed into any particular viewpoint, although she is very progressive and very much a feminist. But this book really, really, really is interesting because it looks at the evolution and history of women's anger, both as it's emerged in the last two years in this country, but really over the last two centuries. And it explains a lot of things about why women are not more united, why do women tend to get divided by by race. It's a fascinating, brilliant book. So I love that book, so I highly recommend it. And then Twins With It is another book that I just think is, is sort of comes at sort of the same subject from a slightly different perspective. It's this book called Rage Becomes Her, The Power of Women's Anger by Soraya Shamali. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's, it's sort of looking at the same issue from a different perspective. And I think if you take these two books together, you really get a very fresh, very nuanced, very contextualized understanding of where women's and their expressions, their political expressions and their political voices lie today in this larger political landscape that we all find ourselves in. Um, So anyway, they're edgy, they're passionate, they're emotional, but they're also really, really smart and 
with great historical political context. So, Lisa, let me ask you a question. I haven't read either book yet, and I've read yeah. reviews of both of them. I know Rebecca um, only slightly and have admired much of what she's written. Do they agree on the need and danger for women to express their anger? I would say they agree on the need for women to express their anger. I don't think they see expressions of anger as dangerous. I think they also believe that women are owning and acknowledging their anger more openly. Mm. And for example, Rebecca Traster talks about some of the women senators, Kamala Harris and Ms. Maisie Hirono from Hawaii and others who are just sick of silencing themselves. My worry is having watched movements like this three or four times in my lifetime and then watching them retreat or abate with some sticking, some change sticking, but not the kind of change I would have thought 50 years ago would occur. My question is, will this time be different? Yeah, that's a really, you know, that's a a common question. And I think they both grapple with that. And I think, you know, one of the things that Rebecca uh, has says quite um, distinctly is that, you know, there's always a backlash, right? And there's been a backlash, you know, people, you know, the Me Too movement has made enormous, has done amazing things that people never thought possible in a matter of a couple of years. If you look at the number of men who were, you know, harassing, assaulting women from their positions of power in various different industries um, in this country who now have no longer have their jobs. Well, you know, then now there's a kind of a backlash of, oh, but, you know, what about these people who, you know, it's only the woman's voice alone, and suddenly this guy's out of his job, and what about my sons, and what about my brothers, and so on, and my husband. And so Rebecca says um, very directly that we are living in a moment of backlash now, but you can't discount the progress that's been made. Mm -hmm. And I think we are seeing such rapid change in so many areas so quickly, partly because of social media, partly because you can organize people in in different kinds of ways, partly because women could come forth with their stories online very quickly in a matter of 24 hours. You know, how many women, you know, said me too, me too, me too. So there's kind of strength in numbers, I think, that's a little bit different in this um, social media age. And, you know, when I think about the long view of these things, there's a, a quote from the 19th century that I'm always a fan of, and that is uh, that as Americans, we love live conformists and dead nonconformists. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, it's right. it's only after the rabble-rousers who might annoy us along the way have left their uh, change and benefit, and they've and they've deceased. Do we appreciate that those rabble rousers existed? Well, that's exactly right, and I think both of these authors are are very aware, for example, of the contributions of African American women to progressive politics, various social justice movements in this country, where they did a lot of the heavy lifting and a lot of the background work and got none of the credit, even from white feminists and white progressives. And, you know, that's beginning to get rectified. So these are really interesting books historically, politically, culturally. And I just think at this moment, very, very, very important, you know, and, and, and just smart, really, really smart. Can I give you some more? Yes. Okay, so I would, in the same sort of vein, 
Um, and this is just a series of essays by Jabari Asim, who is a really another just incredibly provocative, smart um, writer about popular culture and social issues. And I think you know he you may know he was uh, an editor at the Washington Post for a while. He wrote a column on politics and other kinds of social issues. He's been a Guggenheim fellow. He's a really talented guy. Mm-hmm. And he's written this book of essays called We Can't Breathe. And uh, these are essays about black lives, white lives, and the art of survival. And they're just gotten very, very good reviews. It's a very, um, it's a little volume. It's one you can pick up or not pick up. You know, pick it up now, pick it up later. Yeah, I want to read that. You know, one of the books that I've been recommending people read and I've piled up in the store is The Federalist Papers. Hey, exactly. And the Constitution of the United States. And when I went back and read the Federalist Papers about two or three years ago, when when the presidential campaigns were on, as I was getting worried, um, I was struck by, A, the eloquence of the writing. I mean, it's just beautifully written. That's how they communicated, right? Exactly. And that they were um, somewhat anonymous. I mean, their history kind of knows which founder wrote which one, but it's a blended piece that incorporated differences of opinion even among the founders. Well, and the rigor of their intellects. Oh, my God, it's just an extraordinary set of documents. Yeah, by people who actually really thought hard about these things and were, you know, incredibly erudite, right, and and literate on all sorts of issues of philosophy and history, and we just don't seem to have that anymore. It's exquisite to read. And one of the reasons, among many, that I encourage people to read the Federalist Papers is to remind them what government can and should be. That's a great suggestion. You know, you'll read it quickly, Lisa. but I was just, I was so happy reading that. I have another couple books I thought I would mention. Again, these are probably not ones that are on a lot of people's radar screens necessarily, Um, I don't know if you've heard about this book. It's called For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Politics. No. It's by four uh, African-American women, Donna Brazil, Yolanda Carraway, Leah Daughtry, and Mignon Moore. And these four women have been, in one form or another, each of them and all of them, involved at the highest levels and the center of Democratic Party politics since 1984. And... This is the story of how these black women independently, you know, back 25, 30 years ago, decided to make careers in mm. politics, how they came to be these kind of eminences of the Democratic Party. Now, the last one. Okay, well, I'm going to give you two quick ones um, that are both by Yale professors. So that should be right up your alley. One is the new biography of Frederick Douglass. I'm interviewing him uh, next week. Well, and so you know, right, that he came across all these um, documents that had not been um, earthed before. Yeah. um, uh, It's apparently, I have not read the book. Brad has read it. He thinks it's terrific, so I wanted to mention it. It's also, again, you know, somebody who's a very important historical figure who has resonance today for a variety of reasons. And then the other book that I want to mention, and this is kind of plugging my dear pal, but I, I think this is an important book at the moment, uh, Harold Hongju Ko, you know, who was a former dean at the law school mm-hmm. at Yale and now is a professor there and who runs the rule of law clinic. He's written a book. It's just called The Trump Administration and International Law. And believe it or not, it's kind of an optimistic book, but it really is also a primer on if you care about things like climate change and, you know, peace with North Korea 
And, of course, human rights. What about these people at the borders? What about Syrian refugees? What are the tools available in international law that can ensure that the rule of law reigns supreme over any individual leader? But the book is not just for lawyers. That's the point. And that's why, you know, I think it looks like an academic book and the title's kind of like, okay, it sounds academic and probably it's just for people who practice international law. No. It's not, and it's not that long. It's it's accessible, and he's very, you know, he's a wonderful narrator. So it's just stocked with really relevant current issues that we all know about, and it's a terrific book. And there's one book I really, really want to mention. We can't keep it in stock. It is so popular in our store. It's called We Fed an Island by Jose Andres, who is a fabulous chef in Washington, but also a social justice warrior of the first order, and it is just an amazing book. And I don't know where he gets the energy to do what he does. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> he literally... And then he fed Puerto Rico. Well, he's done... He did the, the, you know, the hurricane in Texas. He did the hurricane in Puerto Rico. He's gone to, you know, these uh, natural disasters in Central America and elsewhere. But the Puerto Rico story, which is the focus of the book, is is really interesting because this is a time when... You know, there was no infrastructure. Everything was destroyed. The American government could not get its act together and figure out what to do. And he went down there, and he got fellow chefs to come with him, and he realized there's food on the island in some of these warehouses. There are people who know how to cook. So he basically figured out where are the restaurants that have kitchens that might work, where are the food distribution centers. He bought up the food on the island by taking out a loan, and just paying people to let him have the f- access to the food that was sitting in storage facilities that couldn't get anywhere. And they just, in, they, and they, you know, reemployed people on the island and they got food to thousands and thousands of people. I'm glad you brought that up because A, I'd want to read it in this piece. I, I'm, I believe I saw a piece on 60 Minutes about him and I haven't read the book, but I, I was just both wowed by the kind of ingenuity he brought to Puerto Rico when it was, you know, destroyed, literally destroyed. Literally destroyed. And and, and the whole, the, the, the message, the lesson is don't say it can't be done, figure out how to get it done. Yeah. So let's leave our listeners with two things. These have been great suggestions, Liz. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. But the other thing that I've noticed is somebody who reads a lot of newspapers and a lot of magazines and um, sometimes to the detriment of my getting to all the books I want to get to is I've begun to appreciate the critical need to read the long form on a topic and not be sort of whipsawed by daily reading alone, that it's important for us to step back and look at it, look at these subjects in historical context with a real understanding of what facts and law are. And I think there's been an abundance of books that have come out that are thoughtful and good. And so I do think there's a reminder here as part of this conversation For people not to forget that reading newspapers and magazines has a place in terms of keeping up with what's going on minute by minute, but there is the need to step back and look at it with a wider lens. 
Without a doubt. You know, these are really, they are, they're exactly what you're saying. They take the long view. And I don't think that should in any way deny the urgency of the moment we're in right now. But at least it puts a lot of this in perspective that we sometimes are lacking, especially if all of our news comes to us in 240 characters or, you know, a little sound bite. Well, Lisa, let's let's hope for a big turnout. I really hope people vote. It, you know, people in this country forget. I, you know, I think you know this. I had the privilege of traveling all over the world with Hillary Clinton when she was first lady, and then again as Secretary of State. And we just so take for granted that privilege of being yeah. al- being able to vote here, where people around the world are being executed and tortured and exiled and imprisoned for trying to vote, for trying to express their opinion, for trying to cast a ballot. And, you know, we should exercise that privilege and we should take it seriously and make sure we are responsible citizens, responsible to ourselves and our families and our communities and to each other and and not take these things for granted. Mm. And, of course, that will be the best way of transcending the silos and the anger and the, you know, the, the, the animosity that exists right now. Yep. Well, all right, darling. It's been great speaking with you. We'll talk next week. I would love to talk to you more. This is always so fun. I'm always so honored. Thank you. You've had me on, you know, a bunch of times and it's just I always love it. I love it. Well, I love it too. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Fabulous. Fabulous. Thank you, darling. Okay. Bye, lovey. Bye. Thanks again to Lisa Muscatine. We'll be posting all of Lisa's book picks on bookpodcast.com. And as Lisa and I talked about during this segment, what's important is that we vote. I think sometimes I'm stunned at the low percentage of people who do vote. I almost think we forget about it's a privilege, it's important uh, for us to each have our voice heard by voting. So get out there and vote, and then these will give you some good ideas of things to read. I'd love to hear about some of your favorite political reads. Email us at info at com, or reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter. Just the Right Book Podcast is produced by Collisions, the podcast division of CRN International. Our original music was created by Mark Berman. Our producer is Christina Torres. Our audio engineer is Pat Keo. Thank you all so much for listening.